Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, Melbourne. It is Sunday, the 21st of July, 2019, and you are on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. This is Out of the Blue, today with Donna and Farm and eco-dog Loki in the studio. And we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that 3CR is broadcasting from, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and we acknowledge that this land was never ceded. Today on the show, we will be checking in with Dr. Olaf Meinecke of Humpback and High Rises because we are still fully immersed in whale season at the moment. Um, I will also be updating people on a little bit of information about the whale festival that happened in Phillip Island uh, from the 5th to the 7th of uh, this month. And um, yeah, we will be back with you shortly after this part. Cocktail followed by oyster liqueurs. G'day, this is Ozzy Butler from Astronomy Class. You're tuned to 3CR on 855 AM or 3CR.org.au. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Keep community radio alive. Peace. Enjoy. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. You are tuned to 855 AM 3CR. Um, I'm, jo- I'm Donna and I'm joined in the studio with Farm. And on the phone is Dr. Olaf Maynika. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, I should say. Thank you, Donna. Thanks for having me again. Fantastic. No worries. Um, and for new listeners or listeners who may have missed our interview with um, Olaf last year. I'll just give you a bit of a a background and an intro to him and his work. So Olaf completed his undergrad studies in Germany and his PhD at Griffith University in Queensland. Um, And that was all about the relationship between fish harvest and environmental drivers. Um, After he completed his PhD, Olaf continued his research in marine science with the Griffith Centre for Coastal Management on the Gold Coast. And he's now working on an international research project on the impacts of climate change on whales and studies the health of humpback whales in southeast Queensland using drones. Awesome. Um, Olaf is CEO and co-founder of Humpbacks and High Rises, Inc., a non-for-profit research organisation dedicated to urban marine mammal research and protection. And that's what we're going to be chatting about today. So... Impressive history there and really excited to have you back on the show, Olaf. Yeah, thanks. uh, um, It's always good to have such a great introduction. (laughs) Hard work there. Um, So I'll just um, start by saying I went out on um, one of Olaf's expeditions. I knew I was going to do that um, (laughs) last year and it was super fun and really amazing. Um, And basically the 
I'll get you to explain the research, but just by means of, you know, a bit of personal experience, we were out on a boat for like a couple of days. We had really bad weather one day, so we didn't go out, but that's fine. Um, and tiny boat up really close to Wales, closer than the touristy cruise ships, um, such a privilege. And we were doing research, but it didn't feel like we were doing any work. Um, but it was just really amazing and fun. So it was a really great experience. So I'm just wondering if you can tell our listeners a bit about the research you do and the expeditions that you're hosting at the moment. Yeah. Um, so basically, at the moment, um, I'm doing a lot of work related to modelling um, the migration patterns of whales and uh, trying to understand what uh, changes are happening and for that we actually need long-term data it is very very important to have long-term monitoring data to understand what the changes are actually mean or what what's happening so at the moment we have um, records of newborns really far south around New South Wales and, and like in relatively high numbers and so we we can see this trend over the last couple of years um, is increasing and there's a shift happening so I'm, I'm looking into that and uh, we're, we're also actually at the moment trying to get up a new really exciting project but the problem with new and innovative research is it doesn't usually get government funding so um, I was uh, unsuccessful in the government application that I put in recently for that particular project which is targeting uh, mothers and calves and we're trying to actually develop non-invasive uh, tagging methods so that we can track the animals over a couple of days and find out what their preferred areas are, in particular when they go to places that are of high risk. So we've got a couple of um, individuals that tend to go into the shipping channel and into the uh, channel where the ferries are going, and so that is obviously a very high-risk area for them. And we're trying to figure out why, why, why they're attracted to these places and at what time. So um, these are just some of the research that we're doing. So out on the expedition, um, which is something we only recently started, uh, we actually invite um, people to come out and join our work. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that we're you know, doing enables us to do when these expeditions are being run is that we can collect whale skin. So we do that from the surface of the water when the animals are breaching, and then we also fly the drone when the conditions are good, and we can take um, images from, from air and measure the size of the animals. And that's really interesting and important work because we can actually compare the changes in the, in the thickness of the whale over time. So when they come back from their breeding grounds at the Great Barrier Reef, they, they're all... Uh, lost weight and they will look a lot thinner and so we can compare that to uh, images that we take um, at, the, at the northern migration so when they when they basically mm. just come up from the Antarctic waters. And then at the research expeditions we also collect a lot of behavior data so very detailed information on, on each uh, pot of whale or ideally on each individual whale and that's something that we cannot do on the on the well, which operators because they don't spend much time with the whales and we also have a special permit that allows us to um, get close to the animals closer than uh, well which operators so 
So, Olaf, um, um, I'm, I'm wondering, because at the moment, uh, here in Victoria, we're seeing the whales come down and they're going to their breeding grounds to have their calves around Warrnambool and also the Great Australian Bite. So, are there two different populations of humpback whales breeding in different areas along the Australian coast? Or do you see the same animals doing the same patterns? So, I mean, you should only have southern right whales um, down there at the moment, but um, we have had like inc- more and more reports of um, newborns actually being sighted. Last year there was um, a few that we've been made aware of, uh, so they definitely should not give birth down there. That's against all the rules and all <laughs> what they have done, all what they have done in in the past, and against all literature and knowledge. So. Yeah, but, that's really uh, interesting because we we uh, there was the Phillip Island Whale Festival was on uh, the first weekend of this month, and uh, people spotted a bunch of humpback whales um, just off Pyramid Rocks in Phillip Island. So that that's Western Port Bay, uh, down mm-hmm. here in Victoria, um, and they were there with experts, you know, like whale watching, and there were like four hundred people or something on Pyramid Rocks, and they were certain they saw the humpback. So that's really interesting. What's mm-hmm. what would be happening there? You think that they get lost? Uh, No, um, it all looks like that the animals are responding uh, with a behavioral change to possible uh, decreases in energy reserves so they're not getting enough food supply. So they're actually reducing the journey. They do not have to be in tropical waters. I think that's just something that um, is certainly of benefit for the calf to be in warmer waters, but the risk of the female of the mother to actually uh, not be able to give enough uh, milk to the calf when they travel all the way up to the Great Barrier Reef is, is a lot higher. So I think some of the animals decide to not move that far and give birth a lot further south because that will reduce mm. the travel distance by almost 2,000 kilometers and, and that will save a lot of energy. So. There's a little known as to how the whales are actually capable of understanding how much energy or how many reserves, fat reserves they have. But they must have some way of understanding that because otherwise they would run at risk running literally out of out of reserves when they're all the way up mm. in Cairns and then will never make it back down to Antarctica. Do you think the so, waters down south are getting like a little bit warmer and so they're like, we don't have to go so far north to feel as warm or um, not so much? Not. For, for mm. the changes that we're experiencing now, it's actually less like it's related to the, the water temperatures where mm-hmm. they are giving birth because we're looking, I mean, you know, we're looking a maximum of one degrees maybe in the East Australian current where the warm water is being pushed further down south. In some places around Tasmania, it might be almost two degrees warmer, but um, which is significant um, in terms of water mass and energy. But it seems like it has more to do with um, problems to find enough food in the Antarctic water. So that's, but that's still uh, speculation. However, we can see this trend is just getting like it intensifies it, it started about five years ago and now it's getting much more intense and we, we see a lot more um, yeah being just staying for the south the best example was this year for the first time ever has been recorded animals 
been seen in March um, around Perth and around Sydney. So in both populations, we had very early sightings in the season. So these animals very likely never made it down to Antarctica to the actual feeding grounds. They probably stayed all uh, through the summer in the um, just in the Southern Ocean and were feeding there. And then uh, that was the reason why they appeared so early. So very interesting things are happening, and uh, I think they will, they'll make great indicators for change in the ocean dynamics. So that's why I also love studying them. Yeah, right. Um, in some of the info you sent me when we were doing our show prep, you mentioned that um, a couple of sick whales had been displaying behaviour and that you haven't seen that reported before in your work. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what, what, was, what was seen? Yeah, that also underlines how important these expeditions are because they are basically allowing us to spend significant time out on the water. And uh, on the first expedition that we were running in June, we uh, encountered two whales that were behaving very strange. They were having long, um, long resting times on the surface, but they were not moving at all, which is usually not the case when we see them resting. They they still float a little bit, but mm. um, these animals are very stationary and they they displayed exhaustion. They were trumpeting when we were coming closer, so they were actually uh, in distress. And then mm. we noticed that they suddenly, after two or three minutes of resting, started to swim rapidly in random directions and then appeared on the surface again to rest again. And they continued doing this um, over an hour so. It was very disturbing. Well, it was very interesting mm. to see for us at the start because we weren't really sure what was going on. Because they were also like doing breaches and they were doing calf laps. And we were like, well, if they're exhausted or sick, then how is that possible? But then when we actually were able to put uh, the GoPro on the water and get some underwater footage, we saw that they were trying to get rid of uh, uh, suckerfish. So they had a lot of uh, remoras mm. on like 50 plus under their belly and those remoras were irritating them but the reason why they would have so many of them is because they're swimming slow and that uh, only happens when they're actually not well um, and we've seen so many entanglements this season as well that were you know indicating that um, well could be a even a healthy animal can get entangled. But uh, yeah, there was so a report on the radio yesterday, I think, of a, uh, <clears throat> a humpback whale up your end um, that had a that was entangled in a rope, and it had boys behind it. So it was it was pretty much by the time their marine response unit was there, it was already exhausted from just pulling, you know, these ropes and these boys. And they were, you know, they, they it was a lucky whale because they were able to free it. Um, but yeah. I can imagine it takes, you know, once the whale is so tired, it takes all of the energy out of it that would significantly reduce its fitness. Well, we've, I've been trying to get photos of the floats because there is some uh, indications that these floats were actually coming from Adelaide. So they're from fisheries down south. So the animal was trapped for a significant amount, like a wow. long amount of time. And these you know, these, the whales don't just simply die. It's like a big tree, so they will take months to, to slowly die. And it's very sad because it's actually more brutal than hunting them, to be honest, because that's one of the slowest deaths that a whale could possibly experience. Yeah. It takes mm. 
a lot of time for them to finally um, then yeah die. So yeah, and we've seen pretty much every week we're now getting reports of in, of entanglement. Um, every week. Every week, yes. Wow. Every week since the start of the whale season, we had reports of entangled whales that were sighted um, and were dragging ropes or nets or a fishing line. We had one three, four days ago that was photographed near Byron, I think, with huge amount of fishing line left around its tail. So, wow. so do you find yeah. that the materials that the materials that they tend to get entangled in are fishing industry? Materials like nets and ropes, or is yeah, is it run, is it litter from land or, or shark nets as well? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, we do. We did have already two entanglements in shark nets. Yeah, um, and then so there's also uh, shark nets that have been broken through by the whale because they managed to free themselves. So then they will keep dragging those nets around. Um, but a, the majority is is from from fishing gear, and it's either not even discarded fishing gear sometimes um, so where there's uh, crab pods being laid um, that seems to be a big issue in particular in Western Australia uh, there's been some work done to modify those crab pods um, uh, sort of ropes to make to make it less likely to be entangled for the whales but that's so that seems the number one problem but then also we you know we, we know that people keep fishing, for instance, when there's mm. whales around. And of course, I mean, a whale cannot see a fishing line. So Yeah, yeah I think that's it's, a, it's the same situation down here in Victoria where we have a marine response unit and also the Department of Environment um, gets involved in whale rescue. So they have, you know, boats and a team and very specific ways of um, helping entangled large wildlife in the marine environment. And it's it's... I think I, I attended a presentation by one of those guys and uh, he said that the, the crab pods and the buoys that, and the ropes that are attached to that are a massive problem down here in Victoria. We don't have yeah. shark nets, but we definitely have other stuff that they, mm. yeah, that they get entangled in and the, and the crab pods <coughs> were mentioned multiple times, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, it, it might be worse this year because we have animals um, that came up very early and they... They seem to have not moved, um, so they probably stayed around Newcastle and, and further down south New South Wales and the same on, on the western coast. And those animals seem to have not actually made or continued their migration from March onwards. They just must have stayed in the area for, for mm. a couple of weeks. And that increases simply the chance of like being entangled. Like if they would go up in a straight line, then you know the chances of being entangled are be a lot more. We don't have uh, here uh, in, in the subtropical tropical waters. We we usually only have um, use of uh, you know trawlers, and uh, there's no crab uh, crab pot out mm. in the open ocean. So. Yeah, right. Um, Olaf, if people would like to get on one of your expeditions, how can they go about that? Yes. So um, everyone is invited to, to join us and basically the easiest way would be just to send an email to science at hhr.org.au. Mm-hmm. Um, also uh, visit our webpage at hhr.org.au and there's more information on those expeditions um, just at the front page and then also we are on Facebook as well and we have uh, a 
an event page where it's very clearly explained what dates we are offering at the moment. So we still have uh, we still have August, and we also have uh, two spots left for August, and then we have a September one. Where we have another four spots left, and then we're hoping to have enough interest to run one in October because the dream would be to run at least one trip every month. So then we can also get some uh, continuation in our in our data collection. Awesome. So we will put all of those links um, up on our Out of the Blue Facebook page and in our show notes. And I highly recommend going, getting on one of these expeditions. It's so much fun. I want to go now. Um, yeah, you should. I've totally. heard so much about these stories about whales <laughs> catching whale snot and drone flying. Yeah, it all sounds extremely exciting. It's a great weekend away. Um, yeah, we- <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and 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 actually, the the part that is, is really rewarding for me is to to spend it with like-minded people, and mm. I actually have such fantastic, um, yeah, like encounters with people and and just networking um, with people that that joined those expeditions. So it has been fantastic. It's just uh, you know, it, it gives me so much energy, and it tells mm-hmm. me I need to continue. So good. Awesome. Um, we're going to flick to a song now. This is Black Boy, White Girl, White Boy by Banalori. We'll be back right after this. A shy black boy who came to the city to learn about how his people lost their lives. His parents died when he was just a child and now his life is mystified. Black boy, black boy, white the color of your skin is your pride and joy. White boy, white boy, black girl, black girl, your life is not destroyed. He walks the streets cause he got no home, feeling hopeless and all alone. Beneath the noise of the city grind Black boy, black boy, white girl, white girl The color of your skin is your pride and joy White boy, white boy, black girl, black girl Your life is not destroyed Welcome back to 3CR Community Radio on 855 AM. This is Out of the Blue. Listen to us on your 
live radio, your digital, and also on the interwebs on uh, 3cr.org.au. We are in the studio here today with uh, Donna and Farm and still Dr. Olaf Meineke on the phone as well. And the song that you just heard was by Bana Laurie, uh, a mourning man from the Great Australian Bite, and it was Black Boy, White Girl, White Boy. And speaking of Uncle Bana... Um, I was very, very excited to uh, meet with him the second time in my life. Um, and this was at the Whale Festival, the Phillip Island Whale Festival that happened uh, this month from the 5th till the 7th of June uh, on Phillip Island. It was a really, really fantastic festival. And uh, I just wanted to highlight this very special um, ceremony that was hosted by Uncle Bana Lori himself, um, also with Steve Parker, who is the Boonarong man uh, who lives on Phillip Island. So it was held on Boonarong country. And also invited to that ceremony uh, was um, Matua Arnold Tihema from our Aotearoa. I knew I was going to botch that up. <laughs> That's right. I botched up um, <laughs> expedition before. <laughs> and it was it was actually an amazing thing to witness. So Uncle Banalori was there um, to... Because he's a whale song man and he's from the Mooning people in this great Australian bite. And he has been traveling around Australia supporting the Surf Rider Foundation uh, who is still fighting Equ uh, Equinor, the yeah, Norwegian the company that uh, wants to do oil drilling in the Australian Bight. So the first time uh, I met Uncle Bana was at the um, Paddle Out protest in St Kilda a few months ago um, that was being done. And um, it was a wonderful experience of this really wise man. And he speaks the language of the whales um, through his people. And uh, he, he taught us a wonderful whale dance which was amazing. So um, on the Saturday of the festival, uh, people turned up at the uh, the community centre and we started out with a smoking ceremony that was led by by Steve, by Steve Parker, the Boonarong man. Uh, and there were some really talented uh, women and young girls who were doing dances as well to, to welcome the whales uh, on their mi annual migration. And it was really lovely to be invited to something like that. And after the smoking ceremony itself, we went inside and we all stood around in a big, big circle and listened to a fantastic song uh, in Maori uh, sung by Matua Arnold Tihema, who has an incredibly loud and beautiful, almost opera-like voice um, mm. that he sang about the whales, because he is also from a whale people tribe in uh, in New Zealand. Um, and we all got to learn a totally new dance. So we all learned to dance the whale dance. And um, yeah, it's it was a really touching ceremony to welcome back our whale kin. And it is a really beautiful thing to be invited to, uh, especially since those kinds of ceremonies have been happening for literally tens of thousands of years mm. uh, on a yearly basis. So it was a real privilege. And it was a very special meeting of the songlines because there were three elders from different songlines and, and different peoples there. And Uncle Bana mentioned to us that it is now the time in the world where people need to do this more often where the traditional custodians of the country need to move off their country and travel in order to meet to cross song lines to meet with other elders from other um, other country and basically you know unite their their powers mm. to handle the problems that we are facing today yeah, specifically it's really with the environment it's quite a diversity um, yeah a diversity thing as well in that 
you do need that kind of cross-pollination across any culture, multiple cultures, all cultures, to build that strength that will take us forward. Yeah, yeah. and it, it was just really awe-inspiring um, to me to just to just see so much wisdom in the one room. And it was not just these three elders, of course. There were other other local people mm. and from, uh, indigenous peoples from other uh, countries there as well. Um, yeah, so it was really beautiful to be included in that. Yeah. And it, it felt really wholesome. And it was really funny because at the moment when we were dancing, one of my friends was at Pyramid Rock. He was trying to spot whales. And he said later on when we were going for a surf, he said that as we were calling in the whales and doing the whale dance, um, there were about 400 people watching these humpback whales, three humpback whales, oh, wow. really putting on a show for them in front of Pyramid Amazing. Rocks and rolling around and doing the big, you know, snot, snot blowing. And <laughs> <laughs> that uh, Dr. Olaf, Olaf is out there very, with very familiar <laughs> with by now, all the snot blowing. Yeah, right. so um, um, it was it was really wonderful. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. You've got one really really quick announcement to make before we um before we get out oh, of here. Oh yes. So the Port Phillip Eco Centre is currently developing a new documentary short film to show how our multicultural connect uh, communities in Melbourne connect to the waterways. So if you uh, are of a culture and you live here and you're a culture other than um, cont- you know, contemporary Melbourneian Australian. Um, we are looking for you because we would love to know what water means for your culture. Um, if there are any old family traditions or festivals around rivers, lakes, or oceans that form part of your cultural practice, uh, we would really love to hear from you uh, for this documentary. So contact Reiko Yamada at the Eco Center at reiko at ecocenter.com. That's R E I K O at ecocenter.com or call us on 9525 3102 or get in touch via our Facebook page at Eco Center St Kilda. We would love to hear your stories um, so that we include more people and more cultures into caring for our waterways. Awesome. Thank you, Farm. Thank you, Olaf, for joining us. We've got to get out of here. Up next is Sally with Out of the Pan. And you're listening to Out of the Blue on 855 AM 3CR Community Radio. I'm Philippe Cousteau from Earth Echo International, and you're listening to Out of the Blue, 855 AM 3CR's Marine. Help 3CR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline, and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care, and also others were... The recognition of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years, and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shore. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now.